You are now listening to Asking for a Friend with Talk Doc, sharing insights through real, honest, and practical ways to improve your communication and relationships. Featuring your hosts, Dr. Pamela Kreiser, Meredith Edwards Nagel, and Taylor Polindo. Talking fallacies. All right. We're, well, we're talking specifically today about fallacies of emotions, right? Ah, we are emotional people. Yikes. Guilty. Very, very guilty. We're emotional people who sometimes think. <laughs> That's probably more true. I can't that printed somewhere in my house. I have yeah. it printed on a mug. I'll show you. Thanks. We're emotional people who sometimes think. I like it. Awesome. So the fallacy of emotion or fear, leaning a little bit in this episode a little bit more about typically fearful emotion. That's usually where we see this picked up in fallacy, right? So yeah. what is this fallacy? We go back to what a fallacy is. It's an unsound argument or an argument mm-hmm. that doesn't hold up under scrutiny. Mm-hmm. Scrutiny. You might have to break that one down. The logic isn't there. It's kind of, it's like a cheat almost. Yeah. I heard that it compared them to they're like a little bit of a cheat or a shortcut. Yeah. So this fallacy of emotion or fear is basically the the definition, if you will, or what is it, Mm -hmm. is it increases fear for an alternative point of view. If someone fears the opposite or the alternative something, then they're more likely to choose whatever side of that argument that is, right? But this is based on an emotion of fear, specifically fallacy of fear, rather than a logical reason to support some sort of point of view. Mm -hmm. Uh, An appeal to fear is a fallacy where a person tries to create support for an idea by attempting to increase the fear of the other. The receiver's Um, fear. Exactly. It's common. A lot of places we're going to see things like this are going to be things like marketing, advertisements, definitely politics. Those are the main highlighted places I found them to be. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Essentially with this one, I think the key for me is that if someone is fearing the opposite, and they're more likely to choose that side, mm-hmm. not based on the argument itself, but based on their feelings of whatever that emotion that triggered was inside of them. Yeah. So there's the illogical point there. So all these fallacies travel in groups. So it seems like this fallacy of the appeal to pity seems related, which is don't not do this thing or do this thing because it's logical. Do it because you feel bad for me. Mm. Mm-hmm. So the example I heard recently was, I have COVID, don't give me a speeding ticket. You could say that to the police officer. They're separate ideas, right? They don't follow a logical sequence, but we want you to feel bad because I have COVID, so maybe you'll let me off. Right. And I know lots of people who try those sorts of appeals. Mm -hmm. So with the appeal to pity, what if you're trying to make your case? That example, I'm rushing to the emergency room. Oh, that would be better. Because like it's related in, to the idea of the yeah, speeding. Yeah, a little bit related. So how do you, what do you do? Because I feel like as a professor, you hear, I was up all night with a sick baby. I'm a single parent. So I didn't get good sleep, go softer on this grade or something like that. Yeah, yeah, which we can talk about that for sure. One of the things that you had mentioned to me, Taylor, was that this, I learned something from Taylor tonight, was when we talk about oh. the appeal to pity, it's when they're unrelated. It's not like I was up all night with the baby, therefore I couldn't study, because those are related ideas. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I have a hard time. If it's related, I'm a sucker. We connect a lot of things. <laughs> and we do try to look for excuses, I guess, a lot. I like the example, I have COVID, don't give me a ticket, because you don't necessarily need to be out speeding if you have COVID. Yeah, the two are not connected, so that's the appeal to pity. Right. 
So okay. they're not connected ideas. But I do get a lot of the appeals to emotion on my behalf, mm-hmm. whether that's mm-hmm. related ideas or unrelated ideas. It's an interesting thing to receive those. It doesn't mean they're not true, though, right? And yeah. that's the hard part. Sometimes you hear something even presented poorly. And it doesn't mean they weren't really sick. They might have been actually sick. Mm -hmm. That's the big thing with fallacies, right? Is not whether or not the argument is true or false. Mm -hmm. It's just a poor argument. So you could make the claim in a better way. But it's not whether or not it's good or bad or true or false. But if it was made in a logical way. Right. There's another fallacy highly related to this one, which is the fallacy of the noble effort. So here's here's the one I get all the time. I got an F on the quiz, but I tried so hard. Or I studied more than Taylor and Meredith for the test, so I should have a higher grade than them. I did all the work in the group project. Yeah. I should get a better grade. (laughs) Oh, that's That's right. Hmm. Okay. And so that's the fallacy of if you feel bad for me for all of my effort, my Mm -hmm. noble effort. And that's a tough one because we don't grade anymore for effort when you get to college. (laughs) You know how you got like a citizenship score for lower elementary grades? You got a getting along with others score and some other things. Mm -hmm. And you don't get that score. You get a grade for performance or assessments, right? You got red vines in a homeschooler. Everyone gets a red vine. But if you were correct, you got two red vines. Oh. So it's the everyone gets a red vine rule. Okay. That's not working in school <laughs> anymore. <laughs> okay, so another another cousin. Can I jump to another cousin? Or are you? Did yeah, you want let's hear it. So another cousin on this one would be the appeal to tradition. Mm. Uh, so this is an assumption that just because something is traditionally or routinely practiced, it's either good or better than whatever the new option is. Maybe you've heard this in your family and your personal life or work. We've just always done it this way. This is how it's done, <laughs> right? Uh, and so an example of this is like, well, this has been done like this for so long, therefore it's good. But I'm wondering, could that also be a reason that's bad? (laughs) (laughs) Did you feel like this just came up so much as a newlywed because this person has all of their appeal to tradition. This is how my family does it. And this other person has all of theirs. So when you bring two people together, then you have all the traditions fighting each other. There's no actual reason as to why something's happening other than that's the way we do it. Are you asking if I've had those moments? Yeah. For us, it was a sponge versus a scrub brush. Well, this is how my family does it. (laughs) Oh. What actually works better That sounds like an important argument, Taylor. (laughs) Was not the argument, but it was just like, this is is how we've always done it. And you have to start challenging that when you're in a, when you start living with someone. Yeah. Yeah. I think when you live with a person, you kind of see like, oh, they just do things different. And I'm not, not bothered by if it's the brush or the scrub, I guess. <laughs> but you didn't have any traditions that you did it a certain way and and I mean, like, like daily life way? traditions, like this is the way I do it and this is better. I could think of a kind of a funny one I observed. I had a friend that was dating someone and this person, when they would go to clean the spill up, would spray the spill, then wipe it and claim that it was clean. And my friend was like, no, you 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 wipe it, then you spray it, then you wipe it again. <laughs> It maybe it's more like routine of doing things. This is something I've done and I have a a sincerely held belief in, and this is the way we must go about it. Mm -hmm. Whether I think I'm thinking more along a belief or a structure 
mm-hmm. and less about a scrub brush. I think it's a it's a way to do things. I don't know how I would call that a tradition. There's a classic example of this female makes meatloaf and she cuts the ends off because yeah. that's how her mom did it. Yeah. And the husband says, why do you do that? And she said, well, that's how my mom does it. So then she finally asked her mom, why do we cut the ends off our meatloaf? And she said, oh, it's because I didn't have a dish large enough to fit it when I served it. So I had to cut the ends off. So these like traditions come and it has absolutely nothing to do with if it's good or bad or right or wrong, but that's just how it worked for them. So, but it got passed on as a, that's the right way to do it. So now you're making me think of things. So maybe I do. No, I love that. (laughs) That's interesting. I like that one. We're addressing some cousins here on the fallacies of fear. We've got pity, E for effort. We've got traditions. Those are just similar things if you're out and about and you hear things like those are relatable. So we're focusing a little bit more on the fear of just specifically emotions and more fear-based Yeah, this time. But those are other things to think about when you're in your daily life. <laughs> you can't actually find the logical argument in them. The meatloaf example I thought was really great in that you went back and said, wait, what is the actual reason here? Hmm. And found out the reason wasn't a reason which I find pretty interesting. And if you do find a reason, then do you have to reevaluate, is this a good reason? Is this a bad reason? Or if it's neither, do you just keep doing it because uh, tradition? Yeah, maybe. Hmm, Okay. That's why I was wondering if it's bad. Okay. Let's adjust. Maybe we need to be aware if it's good or just decides a meatloaf because there's no pan. (laughs) Right. Keep doing it for mom, you know? (laughs) But I think that one can be dangerous. Like just Let's just do it because that's how we've done it. I think that's how things get perpetuated and bad things continue to happen. Like taxes. We've always collected taxes. Mm. Let's just keep doing it. Oh, that sounds dangerous. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so you said, Meredith, that fear is the big problem here, right? When you're afraid, you Mm -hmm. tend to like make impulsive decisions, right? So if someone pulls at me something that scares me, I might switch to that side, not even knowing why I've done it necessarily. Yeah. I actually really like this example I found online. It was about it. This is more advertising and marketing. Mm-hmm. And it's the, you imagine like the Goodyear, you know, they sell their tires and they say, because a lot is riding on your tires, right? You know, yeah. but the thing that you visualize there is there's a little baby in the car seat. <laughs> it's raining outside, Uh-oh. cars slipping, things are unsteady. You're like, that's right. I want safety. I don't want my child to be in danger. I don't want to be in my family, people I love to be in danger. These are vulnerable beings, very visual and visceral. I want that safety. Is good, you're the safest thing for me then. Mm -hmm. So the fallacy there is it's not even really about safety, but they're saying that their tire is somehow superior based on their brand. It's not about getting new tires or regularly checking your tires to make sure your car is safe, but make sure you're driving this brand of tires. Yeah. Yeah. What is it about your tire that's better? That's what I want to know. Mm. <laughs> like, why is yeah, it and the, safer? Yeah, and the argument's missing. Yeah, there's not, right. there isn't one. There's it's just, no evidence there. Yeah. You both had said earlier, there could be a good reason to have those tires. It's just not presented in that argument. Mm-hmm. Right. It doesn't mean that they're not the best tires ever. Speaking of advertising, I was thinking that maybe we should have a little quiz about historical advertising. Oh, man. Okay. <laughs> I mean, it's been a while since we've had a quiz. It's been a minute. It's been a minute. It's been a minute since we had a quiz. So this is question number one. When was the first fear ad used successfully in American advertising? What year? I'm going to give you some choices. Okay. 1960, 1950, 1940, 1930, or 1920. So question again, when was the first fear ad used successfully in what year? 
1950. Okay. I was going to say 52 because after World War II, but then I also wanted to say, well, 30s is depressing. I'm going to say 50. Oh, can we say 50? Okay, Taylor. Yeah, that's what I was going to say, but now I feel like I need to pick a different one. <laughs> Because I know because you well you picked first so I because of your fear second. that Meredith will be right I'm afraid yeah I'll just stick with it let's let's both, both be going right. 50 or are we both wrong you were both wrong 1920 <laughs> oh 20 dang. 1920 was the first use of the fear ad historical first use I was not expecting for? that okay so here's the question next question what company or organization used this tactic oh. a General Motors B the United States government C Johnson and Johnson D, Remington Arms Rifle Maker. I'm going Johnson and Johnson. <laughs> That's um, you gotta protect your young. That's a great fear. Can tactic. you read it one more time? A, General Motors. B, the United States government. C, Johnson and Johnson. D, Remington Arms Rifle Maker. I think General Motors. Taylor is correct. Johnson and Johnson. They came out in 1920 with a fear ad about halitosis. What's halitosis? Bad breath. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> so they came out with the first fear time. ad. It was a, a print ad, and okay. it was about the fear of having bad breath and not knowing it. And the product, Listerine. From 1920 to 1927, then, they reported their income went from 115000 to $8 million for Listerine Whoa. sales. And that's why they do it. Police smokes. So it's cited as one of the most successful fear campaigns and one of the original. Wow. I'm discouraged by that. <laughs> fear of bad breath. Should we uh, loop through some other examples? Find it sure. interesting? Or? I feel like I've heard this. Vote for this politician. Otherwise, they'll let people in and they'll take your jobs. So then mm -hmm. if yeah. you have no job, it's your own fault because you didn't vote for this politician. So it's fear, but mm -hmm. then also it blames you. I feel like mm -hmm. that, like it'll be your fault if the thing you're afraid of happens. So mm -hmm. fear and guilt. Yeah, does that. <laughs> How lovely. <laughs> Not great to make a decision based on an emotion. Yeah, I, I think that's true. So what do people fear? They fear maybe a crime or a break-in some kind of perpetrator coming into their home or something. I don't know that I've even seen a home security advertisement that doesn't have a fear base to it, essentially. And that makes sense because they have to create a problem to then solve it for you in advertisement, right? Mm -hmm. Then the question becomes, how do we identify it? The thing I keep thinking is it's missing the argument. Okay. The presence of emotion for sure. I, I just think it's if I'm having a conversation with someone and they're just evoking or just focusing or narrowing in on a negative other option, whether it's a sincerely held belief or political point of view or tradition or whatever it is. Mm -hmm. And your argument, although it feels true to you, is because it, you want to tell someone if they don't follow that, then they'll, it's, it's, I don't know, it's just, it's like trying, it's trying to pull someone to your side of the table without like a logical explanation. Scaring them. Yeah. yeah, scare tactics. It's hard because I think sometimes, like, is this always bad? I think that if you have fear, you don't have preparation on the argument side. So I look at a parent that says, hey, don't do that or your your arm's going to fall off. If you eat that much ice cream, you're not going to be able to see anymore, you know, or some mm -hmm. strange fear appeal. I think that's just not being prepared to explain an actual argument. 
Yeah. You just shortcutted. You don't want to do the work and actually think through why that food could have that effect or why running in the street could get you hit by a car and what could happen and actually do the, the work to figure out how to explain that to a three-year-old. And instead of that work, you just say, you know, you're going to get it. Yeah, actually, yeah. that reminds me of a really good conversation I had with a friend that was saying I went. So I did a I did a chocolate tasting recently. They're explaining that, that companies profit by cutting certain things that are really good for you in chocolate. And a friend of mine was trying. He has a three year old daughter. Just because he said he was like, I want to explain to her what is a what's a good piece of chocolate versus like a crap piece of chocolate because she's going to be exposed to it. Then I know someone else that tells their kid that sugar will eat their teeth out or something. Like if they don't mm-hmm. brush their teeth after they eat it, <laughs> that's terrifying. Right. <laughs> Is that kind of like following what you're saying? It's this like they're, they're like, you're going to be exposed to all the things. You're going to be exposed to the good stuff, the bad stuff. But I'm not, not that it has to be just chocolate specifically. Information that's crap, information that's good. And so you want to be able to learn. It's kind of what we talked about last week to discern how to pull those things out and not just pick something because it's cheap and easy. Fear can be a tool of discernment and it's not something that you have to be afraid of or ignore necessarily in yourself. Maybe it's actually telling you, I'm afraid because there's danger around versus using fear to manipulate people. And Mm -hmm. I think that's what we're talking about as using this fallacy is you're using fear to manipulate people to do what you want. Mm-hmm. And fear, I don't think is a bad thing. I don't think it's, we need to teach children, you know, that it's has to be awful or that it's not okay to feel afraid. I don't think that's what we're necessarily talking about yeah, thank as you, much yeah. as using uh-huh. a fear-based argument to get you to do something. Mm-hmm. Yeah. A fear-based argument is just the easiest thing to do. Yeah. It takes very little effort compared to a real argument, especially one that's attuned to the receiver and their age and what they'll be able to understand based mm-hmm. on their development, all that. Yeah. I do think a lot of parents like to do fear appeals. If you eat that, your teeth will fall out. Mm. If you don't I eat th- your carrots, you won't have good eyesight. Hmm. I hear a toddler just saying, like, I don't care. <laughs> yeah. It's funny you say that because I read some brain research about prefrontal cortex is not developed until they say around mid-20s. Yeah. So they were saying that's why some of the fear arguments don't actually work on children because they don't have that developed. So they don't actually care. And yeah. I think of your example like that. Oh, okay. Well, then I guess my hand will fall off. I was thinking that while I was watching the Olympics, watching like 24-year-olds do the same thing like a 30-something-year-old did. They're not afraid. <laughs> they haven't developed any of that. I am terrified watching this on TV that like you're doing a speed skating or no speed. Yeah, and you could yeah. kill yourself. Yeah. Oh and the kid, he was all like pumped up afterwards in his early 20s. Oh, that has not developed any yet. Your brain <laughs> is not done growing. Oh, yeah. But that is an interesting takeaway from all of this. So if we know that some people who are younger don't respond that well to emotional arguments and that those emotional arguments are indicative of me not doing the work, Basically, it says, hey, maybe cool the fear appeals and maybe also think through what the real point is and figure out a way to explain it in a meaningful way. Hmm. Yeah. Become a better, I don't want to say arguer, but. It's not that it's a bad idea not to play in the street. Remember, we talked about just because you're using a fear appeal doesn't mean the idea is bad. It's you're presenting it badly. Yes. Take that great idea hey, kid, don't play in the street. You might get hit by a car, which is an actual argument, but then figure out a way to present it in, a, in such a way that it's meaningful to that child. Mm-hmm. And saying, hey, you're going to get run over and that'll be the end of you 
isn't really a great way to put it. Right. Yeah. <laughs> because it's not as effective. Yeah. So how do we stop doing it? And by stop, I mean like 50%. Reduce <laughs> it. Good old 50%. Yeah. How do we, I how mean, do we reduce it? Everybody this? always says the first step towards progress in that way is awareness. Hmm. And maybe a way to make that meaningful is to pick a category and say, how do I speak with my spouse or my partner about this? Or how do I speak to my children about this or my subordinates, whatever? Do I say things to my coworkers? If we don't do this, we're all going to get fired. If you speak like that in a category, then maybe pick that category and start cleaning up that speech. Hmm. But the first would be to be aware of it. And then the second would be to say, wait, I need to stop shortcutting that so much and actually figure out a way to present that in a meaningful way. I like that. Yeah. Once again, thank you for joining us today. Please remember to rate, share, and subscribe to our podcast. And thank you for listening to Asking for a Friend. Let us know what you thought of the episode. Our email is hello at afafpodcast.com. This show is for educational purposes only and is copyrighted. Written permission must be granted before syndication or rebroadcasting. Thanks for listening to Asking for a Friend with Talk Talk.